This is the Blunt Doctor Show on a Wednesday afternoon. And uh, here in the new studio, it's exciting. Instagram Live yet again. No one watching. Don't care. Whatever. The whole point is for me to uh, record all my thoughts so that when I get proven right, I will uh, get to lord it all over everything. And the good thing about that, as I uh, take a big inhale of oxygen because of my diminished lung capacity from all the weed smoke, the good thing about that is that I can say whatever I want all the time. I'm in my own studio, in my own home, and no one sponsors this show, so that means I can say literally anything at any time. I am, I'm clearly stoned right now. Let's be clear. This is the Blunt Doctor Show. I will never, that is one thing I can promise you, one promise I will make to you, that you will never hear me do this show sober. I will never come to you on the airwaves of a podcast or live Instagram broadcast or whatever it is. I will never come to you clear-minded and serious and focused. That will never happen. I will always be a little bit confused, a little bit lost sort of forgetful, but extremely talkative and enjoying my time in the studio. So there's something to be said for it, I feel like. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. So, we debuted the new version yesterday. I'm I'm calling this still the Blood Doctor Show, but I'm kind of Xing out the old episodes because they weren't in the studio. And the studio truly makes everything different for me because, you know, there's... There's nothing I can't do in here. There's no way I can't handle it. I've got, you know, keyboard set up. I've got my full sound dampening set up, even though it's not working how I want it thus far. Neither are my levels. I still got to learn the audio mixing side. There's still work to be done. But it can be done, and all by me. And it's exciting. Two things I saw today in NBA news that were super cool, and that made me feel good, and then made me feel really bad are Larry Nance and Josh Jackson doing uh, two different charity drives. And I'll explain why they made me feel bad in a minute. Not at what those guys are doing, but at our world. Larry Nance is doing a drive, um, essentially a charity drive, I guess, where he wants people from Cleveland to send him hats or t-shirts or other swag from like local businesses, right? And then what he's going to do is... He's going to, you know, wear those on game days and he's going to match the donations to those businesses. So, you know, Craig's Pizza or whatever sends in a hat and whatever people donate to Craig's Pizza, he's going to match it. And it's a really good way for him to, you know, help the community around him. And it's good. Josh Jackson's doing a toy drive for the kids in Detroit. Very good thing. These are great. Um, There's nothing negative about that. What makes me sad about those things is that There is literally no world in which they should be necessary. And I'm not saying that millionaires shouldn't give their money away. They totally should. We should always be in favor. We should be in favor of billionaires giving away all of their money. But we should all give away money. All those things are great. Charity is great. But that's also the point of socialism in general. This capitalist society that we live in has created a world in which the government doesn't want to help people. And so somehow it becomes necessary for us to step in and do it. Like, it's awesome that Larry Nance wants to help people affected by COVID and help donate money to them. But the government should have already done that. Small businesses already should have been getting back tax money and various things that they've paid in order to solve this problem. The government that we live in, the world that we live in, the situation has been created such that they're never at fault. They're never at fault. Somehow it's always on us. To solve all of these problems. So while it is wonderful. That. Larry Nance. And Josh Jackson are giving back to their communities. And it's not that they shouldn't do those things. But most especially during a pandemic. Why is it on NBA players. To like solve our problems. How is that possible. Like the NBA had to like stand up. For social justice during the bubble. Because the U.S. government didn't want to. Because they don't want to stop unjustified killings of black men. So the NBA has to stand up and do it. And somehow they're criticized for it. 
And now they're having to donate money to their communities. We are reaching a point where our society is having to perform the functions that the government should be performing. When the world falls apart because of a pandemic, that's literally what a federal government is for. They are literally there to bail out people, small business, everything. That's literally what a federal government is, is is a safety net for the country falling apart. And yet somehow that is the one thing they can't do. They can bomb every other country. They can, you know, uphold the murder of its own citizens. They can hack and spy on their own citizens, but they can't do the one thing they're supposed to do and protect their citizens from a pandemic. That's literally the function of a federal government, and it's being left to NBA players. The Josh Jackson toy drive, a little bit less so, maybe, except for the fact that there's an excess need for those things right now because so many people are out of work and out of homes. So that becomes even more necessary than usual. And this is where intersectionality really comes in because all of these things come together. When the government has a racist response to black men being murdered, it leads to a collapse in the economy. And there are other factors, but when the government also has a racist response to a pandemic by literally not funneling money into the communities that need it most, again, the economy collapses. Intersectionality literally shows that all of these things cross, whether it's racism, homophobia, it just... The world is intertwined. Everything is intertwined. And I know I'm way off the topic of sports, but when we don't take care of our citizens and we don't take care of our people through whatever situations they need to get through, most especially pandemics, it only gets worse. Billionaires hoard money. Poor people spend it. Give money to poor people. Look up the velocity of money if you don't understand what I'm saying. If the government would just give us money, things would be better for everyone. The principles of socialism are completely sound. And they are just rooted in the idea that we should all be there for each other. And I can't believe that in 2020, during a global fucking pandemic, when I'm sitting here saying we should all be there to help each other, I can't believe that that is somehow a controversial idea that some people don't believe in. And yet that is where we are. So, it is disappointing that it came down to that, that players from the NBA had to be the ones to resolve the situation, or to at least try to resolve the situation. Hopefully the new administration, you know, coming in part way. Um, through the NBA season, or the season of giving as it will be, you know, we'll make changes. But it's just, it's just disappointing that, you know, we have to sit here and you read these stories about, oh, it's uplifting. This person's donating their money because this person doesn't have any sick days. So this person's donating their sick day. Well, they just shouldn't, sick days shouldn't be a thing. We shouldn't be penalized for being sick during a pandemic. This is, this stuff is ludicrous. Our system has failed us. And we're sitting by and letting it happen, and it's disappointing. Right. Basketball. In any case, what Larry Nance is doing is really cool. So check out Larry Nance on Twitter. Um, he's got the, you know, he posted a whole thing with the address that you can send the hats and everything to. Um, so please go check that out. Just search Larry Nance. You can find Larry Nance on Twitter. Um, one thing I wanted to clarify Yesterday in the show, when I was going over the um, the over-unders for the season, I think I said something about I'm not as big of a believer as Zion and as other people. And I wanted to be clear on one thing on that. I meant this season. Long term, we all know, you know what a monster Zion is going to be. Um, you know, I'm not trying to hate on that at all. I just realized it sounded like I was saying I don't believe in Zion, and that's not the case. I was just saying that as far as the Pelicans this season – you know, all of Zion's ferocity and force on offense and his incredible abilities are not going to change the fact that they don't have a good defensive team. They don't really have a lot of shooting. And their coach prides himself on defense and shooting. So it's just going to be, you know, a complicated situation. The Pelicans are going to have to figure out um, everything there. 
And I think that they will come together, and I think that they're set well for the future. I'm just saying that I don't really think that this season, Zion is just going to dunk his way into the playoffs in an incredibly complex, deep Western conference with a lot of veteran teams. Um, you know, there are only a couple of teams in the West that are going to be really bad. You know, the Thunder are going to be bad. The T-Wolves are going to be bad. The Kings are going to be bad. And I think the Pelicans are going to be pretty bad. So um, it's difficult for me to see a path for them to the playoffs. Like some people are trying to say they're they're with the Suns in the play- and they're not. They're, they're going to be behind the Suns in the playoff race. And so, you know, when Zion gets to, you know, sort of the next level, then it's a whole different thing. But first, he's got to get in the conditioning to play a full season, and he's got to, you know, learn to play the games that count. He was terrible in the bubble. You know, it's just these are the the growing pains of youth as an NBA player. And so I just don't have a ton of, like, anticipation for this season for what I see for the Pelicans. So when I said I didn't see a lot from them, you know, that was just me um, testing, you know, talking about the, the playoff situation, not necessarily what I think of the Pelicans' future, per se. But I realized how that could come across, so I just wanted to clarify that. Not that anyone heard it or got on me about it, but that's that situation. Uh, you know, I just think the Pelicans are going to have a solid season, but a solid season is not going to be enough um, in the deep Western Conference, especially when you consider, like, what is a solid season for the Pelicans? In my opinion, the Pelicans making the playoffs would be a great season. So a solid season... He's somewhere below that, and I just think that's kind of the range that they're in, especially when you remove Drew Holiday from the equation. Um, they're set up very well for the future, but, um, you know, you lost Derek Favors as well. You know, you've lost some of your veterans, so they still have some veteran talent, but um, I do wonder just how well it's all going to work for the Pelicans this season. Not too high on them this year. For the future, though, I mean, come on. Zion plus shooting, right? I do think it's interesting, the whole Steven Adams thing, because I think that your best lineups are just Zion and shooters, and Steven Adams being there means, you know, there's less potential for that, especially because, I mean, what is the likelihood that Zion's ever going to, like, stretch the floor with regularity? I don't think it's high. If if he becomes, like, a 35-40% sh- three-point shooter, well, 40% is probably out the door, but if he became a reasonable 36% three-point shooter or something, then it's a whole other game, but I still think you're taking him out of, I mean, he's, you know, automatic next to the hoop. Um, and, you know, for all of the corner threes or this, you know, a guy shooting like 70% around the rim is still, you know, better than that. So, um, you know, if you're all about efficiency, Zion next to the rim is all about efficiency. So that's, that's all I would say about that. Um, but I think for the future, um, I think it's just going to take a little time for them to blend it all together. The other team I'm not as high on as other people, and I want to be clear about this one too. I want to be clear about, I still believe that they are the favorite. I am not hating on LeBron or AD. On my last podcast, I said some not haterish stuff about LeBron, but I said essentially that I thought he was hurt. I was wrong. And I said that I wasn't sure that AD had another level in him. And I was wrong. Completely wrong. And I am not hating on these two at all. And I still think that they're the favorites to win the title. There's no question about that. The Kings are the Kings until you knock them off, right? There's no, there's no real, there's no argument about that. But I did not like the moves that the Lakers made in the offseason as much as everyone else. I know that everyone loves them. I know that everyone thinks, and I'm not saying that they're bad moves. And I understand why people are on board with them. Um, I'm just not as high on them as other people. And I'll give you the main reason is that the two biggest acquisitions that everyone talks about, that being um, Marcus Gasol and Montrezl Harrell. The problem I have here is that you basically can't play your four best players on the court at the same time. Like, are you going to play LeBron at the two? That's not going to be a thing. So, Montrez Harrell's not going to play at the end of games, especially probably not at the end of playoff games. And I guess depending on matchup, that's for the Lakers, that's fine. You can't play him against the Nuggets, for example. We saw that. But I do think you could have used your mid-level exception better than on a guy who can't be on the floor for you. And the Gasol thing, 
he does have a lot less to do in this situation than he would in other situations, obviously. So, you know, trying to compare it to, you know, where he was with Toronto or what he was required to do in Toronto is not necessarily fair. And I've been on the record, you know, as a pro Gasol guy, because I, you know, again, I've said it many times, you know, they wouldn't have beaten the Warriors in the championship without him. You know, he honestly used his size um, to, I mean, he shot over Draymond Green in many situations, and he just proved the value of the big man that does still exist, especially when that big man can shoot and pass. And so I understand where the Lakers are coming from on that one. But the idea that he's going to be, um, you know, again, hugely effective for them, I don't, I don't know. Um, Wes Matthews, again, I've said this a million times, like, you just, the numbers don't show how frustrating this guy is, and he makes some shots that he shouldn't, that inflate his numbers, and it just, everyone loves that signing, I'm not a fan of it. Early career Wes Matthews was a much different player from this late career Wes Matthews, who really fancies himself a much better player than he is. I just don't like that signing. I think that he's going to take shots away from other guys who should get them. Schroeder, that move, there's no way to look at that as a bad move because you're getting rid of an older player in Danny Green who did not really perform in the playoffs, and you're replacing him with um, you know a guy who just came off maybe his best season, playing in lower stakes games, but you know it's hard to... When you're talking about like a mid-30s shooting guard, replacing him with like a late 20s shooting guard who had similar numbers last season, it's really hard to argue that's um, a bad move. I do wonder how Schroeder's going to feel being, you know, sort of like the fourth or fifth guy. It's a little easier when you're playing for a title with the Lakers and LeBron's on the court. But, you know, egos are egos, and some guys don't always fit in in those situations. But I like the KCP re-signing. He was great in the playoffs. I just, I'm not sure that all these pieces are a phenomenal fit. Now, talent is talent. It's LeBron and AD. I think they're still probably going to make it work. But I see everyone sitting here, you know, oh, they're so much better this year. They took so many steps, blah, blah, blah. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't really like the Trez signing. I don't understand spending your mid-level exception on a position that your best two players play. Especially when... The only thing that the Lakers care about is the playoffs. Like, the regular season means literally nothing to them. So if you're signing Montrez Harrell because it's like, oh, we can always have uh, an elite power forward on the court for all 72, who cares about that? It means nothing. Ibaka took the mid-level exception from the Clippers. So I am surprised. I mean, I would have been fighting like hell to get Ibaka instead of Montrez Harrell if I was the Lakers. Maybe they did and they couldn't get him. You never know. I just, if he can't shoot, how are you going to play around LeBron and AD? And I just, I just, I feel like they have sort of a mismatched roster, which they had a couple years ago when they didn't even make the playoffs. Now, they didn't have Anthony Davis a couple years ago. So, you know, they still had LeBron plus the guys who are powering the Pelicans right now, minus Zion. But the point is everyone loves that Pelicans team because of the guys around Zion, and they had those guys around LeBron. Younger, sure, but they still didn't make the playoffs. So, I'm just not as high on this team as everyone else. All these people saying they're going to go 65-7 and and set the winning percentage. They're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. And I think there's going to be some weird fit games when LeBron or AD is sitting where Montrez Harrell isn't necessarily as good as people think. I just don't like the fit. I think they'll probably be fine. But I do... For everyone sitting here now saying that the Clippers have no chance at the Lakers and that last year was their only chance, I fundamentally disagree. I think the Clippers have streamlined a little bit. Yes, they've lost a little bit of depth, but you know they had so many guys. They had chemistry problems. I think the Clippers still can prove to be a formidable opponent for the Lakers. I'm not saying they can beat them. I'm not going to go. I'm not... LeBron is LeBron, okay? Until LeBron loses, that's... Uh, but I'm just saying, I, all I hear right now are people saying that the Lakers can't be tested. The Clippers are no match for the Lakers. The Lakers are so good. They're so much better than any team. And I just don't agree with these things. I think they're a very good team. 
But I think that people are sort of overestimating, especially what they're going to do in the regular season. The Lakers might only win 50 games because they just don't care. The the regular season means nothing to them. And, you know, LeBron can get mad about not winning MVPs all he wants. He is the best player in the league. Fine. But there is no argument that, I mean, he he doesn't play defense in the regular season. Like, he just doesn't do it. And so, like, when other guys are working their ass off for 72 or 82 games or whatever it is in a particular year, it's hard to give LeBron the MVP. They just don't care about the regular season. It's just not, they don't care. It doesn't matter. LeBron's played thousands of games. It just doesn't mean anything to them, right? Like, all they care about is rings. And so, especially if not playing as hard on defense in the regular season is going to help him get a ring because it'll give him the energy to play longer, he's going to do that. He does not care about the regular season. And I'm not saying he should. I'm just saying that all this idea about the Lakers are so good, they're going to mow everyone. It's, this is not the case. They're going to be a good regular season team and probably a great playoff team. But for everyone who's claiming this is the best team of all time, I just don't. The 73-9 and Warriors had four all-NBA players. Excuse me. The 73-9 and Warriors had three all-NBA players. The, the championship over LeBron Warriors had four all-NBA players. So these teams that you're chasing, did they have anyone as good as LeBron? No. But they had multiple guys as good as Anthony Davis. They had four of them, basically. Is four Anthony Davises more than one Anthony Davis and one LeBron? Maybe not. We never got to see that. But it is in the regular season when it's a lot easier for one guy to sit and for you to still be an elite team. And that's just not what's going on with the Lakers right now. When they have games when LeBron and AD sit, they're not going to be as good. It's fine. Who cares? I think people are just looking at the wrong thing. This team was built for the playoffs, right? But I don't understand how Montrezl Harrell and Mark Gasol fit with LeBron James and AD in the playoffs. The argument is, well, you know, Dwight Howard played really well and, you know, Everyone playing center basically for the Lakers honestly had a pretty good season last year, you know, be it, you know, McGee or whatever. The problem is Marcus Saul is not going to be able to replace Dwight Howard. Like Dwight Howard did a really damn good job of playing a super athletic defense only center. This is not what Marcus Saul is going to do. And we saw what happened when Montrez Harrell tried to guard Jokic. So I don't think these things fit together as well as some people think that they do. And I like the Serge Ibaka fit with the Clippers so much. I think the Clippers fit together better. Because you can see Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, and um, Marcus Morris can all play on the court at the same time. And I think, and again, I'm not trying to say they're going to beat the Lakers. I don't think that they will. I am just saying that for all the people who are saying they pose no threat to the Lakers, that's not the case. There's a lot more to this season. I feel like people are just handing the Lakers the title again. Oh, it's a shortened season, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have like weird schedules of weird back-to-back-to-backs and all these things. So I don't, I don't buy that. I don't, I don't like it. And I don't think the Lakers are going to be as good. I'm not saying they're not going to be good. I just don't think they're going to be as good as some people think, especially in the regular season. And I do hope neighbors honking because they agree with me. I do hope that we get a Clippers-Lakers-Western Conference. Well, actually, if I'm being honest, I hope for a Suns-Western Conference Finals. Let's be honest, I want the Suns there. But let's hope that, assuming the Suns couldn't get it done, that at least it's the Clippers giving the Lakers something. We need to see these two teams play. If this whole Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, LeBron James thing happened without like a playoff series between them, that would just suck, especially in the prime of it all. We definitely need to see that. So hopefully we do. In the best scenario, the Lakers falter a little bit. They play the Clippers. They beat the Clippers. And then the Suns beat the Lakers. (laughs) I'm all over this idea of the Suns beating the Lakers. I know it's impossible, but I'm going to keep talking about it. I do think the Suns provide a pretty good matchup for the Lakers, though. I will say that. couple of games last night. One thing that was interesting to me, I mean, Steph, 5 of 13 from 3. 
you know, mostly back to being Steph. Still can shoot. He's always going to be able to shoot. But I'm curious, like, how much is that even going to matter for the Warriors, honestly? Like, I kind of feel like unless you make the Harden trade, this dynasty's over. And it's not necessarily that James Harden guarantees them rings and, you know, puts them right back on top or whatever. But it puts you in a situation where you know that you can compete with anyone. Because literally, Steph and, 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 and James couldn't be stopped. That's literally an unstoppable offense. And if Clay Thompson ever got back to being any version of himself, which, you know, I was a little down on that idea until I've been watching John Wall lately, and it makes me feel like, hey, you know, the medicine's gotten better. And, you know, some of these tears, you know, some of the guys that we compare Achilles to, oh, it's Dominique Wilkins never came back, and Kobe was never the same. Well, they were like 35. You know, I mean some of these guys are tearing their Achilles a little younger and that's not good, but it's more likely that they would still have good years left. Like if you tore your Achilles post prime, yeah, you're probably never going to be in your prime again, but you probably weren't anyway. Right. And that's not to say that they wouldn't necessarily have been better for their last couple of years or whatever the case may have been. But, you know, it's hard for me to believe that there's no world, that Clay Thompson can't be a version of himself again. I don't think he can be, you know, an all-world defender of two guards like he once was. But again, I've said many times, I think he can play, you know, like small ball power forward. I don't really see a reason that that couldn't happen. So, you know, I still think it makes the most sense for the Warriors to make this hardened trade. Because I'm just sitting here thinking about this, like, you know, people have talked about the idea of, well, Wiseman can be the bridge to the next great Warriors team. And I'm just curious, like, what world does that occur? Like, Steph and Draymond and even Clay are so much older than James Wiseman that, I mean, the likelihood that he's going to provide, you know, the, the pop for them to get over the top this season is so low. I have advocated for the Warriors to draft Wiseman because it made sense, but that didn't mean that they shouldn't trade him if a better thing came along. And Harden is the better thing that has come along. Because the Warriors would essentially need not only Wiseman to pop, but someone else. They're not going to have a lot of top picks. So they basically, they got to make their next draft count. And then you've got to have, what, Wiggins or Ubre Because it's not like they're suddenly going to have money. Steph Curry isn't going anywhere. You know, Draymond Green is probably not going anywhere. Klay Thompson is probably not going anywhere. So they still have all their cap tied up. So you've got to hit on the Wiseman pick, and you've got to hit on your pick next year. And then, you know, who knows where you're going to be? And I understand the concept. If we hit on Wiseman, and we hit on the 2021 pick, then... We've got a couple of young foundational pieces. If they pop early, Steph and Clay and Draymond in their twilight can play with them. And then when those guys come off the books, now we have money to, you know, pair with our young guys, etc., etc. But that is also based on the idea that James Wiseman is a star, which we just don't know. And while you can still get another star, to pair with your championship team. It makes sense. Because the Spurs tried to thread the needle in the way that the Warriors are. And look what happened. They lost Kawhi Leonard. And now their team is just kind of whatever. So, it's difficult to do. It's not impossible, but it's just difficult to do. And the way that they were winning titles before that was, I mean, you know, they kept Tim Duncan and managed Nobly and Tony Parker basically till the end. Tony Parker left at the end, but the point is they kept those guys together. And the Warriors probably intend to do the same thing, which means there's no money coming. So you basically have to hit on Wiseman and this num- this other pick. Now, again, great. Two top five picks. Excellent. Except, like, the Suns have had multiple top picks over the years, and they blew all of it. Warriors are a better organization than the Suns. Absolutely. 
The draft is still a crapshoot. There are no guarantees. None. With James Harden and Steph Curry, you've got a minimum of probably three straight seasons of we're right at the top of contention. Who knows what happens after that? But who knows what happens with that now? Harden and Curry mean you're in the ring, comp Chase. Curry and Wiseman means you're an interesting team. Interesting teams typically don't win championships. And Wiseman, a lot of these rookies, you know, didn't play as much because of obviously the COVID situation. Wiseman only played a couple of college games. He was gone before the COVID situation. So who knows if even he'll be where he should be in his rookie season. And you're essentially wasting a year of Steph Curry. These are the decisions you have to make, right? And you can't make a trade without giving something up. You're not getting James Harden for nothing. But if you look at rings as the ultimate measure of success, and the Warriors do, you know, their fans may talk about 73 and 9 or whatever, but I, you know, they all, all of them, Still hate that 73 and 9 season and how it ended. And it haunts them. You know, rings are what they care about, as they should. It's not the only thing, but the Warriors truly gauge themselves on championships and basically nothing else. And so, if that is how you gauge yourself, and here you have the opportunity to put two Hall of Famers together, because there's two Hall of Famers to the south of you. I don't see how you don't do it. With the way that medical science is going, I mean, Curry's game is going to age well. Harden's game is going to age well. Draymond, maybe not so much. Again, we don't know about Clay, but if they're even any versions of themselves, I mean, let's not forget the Warrior scouting department originally made their hay outside of the top picks. So now all you got to do is hit here and there on role players instead of landing stars. Plus, you can't tell me guys aren't going to be willing to take veteran minimums, especially next year, to play with Harden and Curry. Dudes will come there. So, it just makes sense from every angle. I know it's unlikely, but I just, to me, I don't understand how that's not the primary discussion. And I think the reason that it's not the primary discussion is simply because of their history in the playoffs. And I think that people are like, oh, the Rockets, you know, the fans could never stomach. Tri-. Well, you know, the Suns traded Steve Nash to the Lakers. You know, if you think that, you know, Harden to the Rockets, you know, or Harden to the Warriors would be difficult to stomach, it would be. But I'm trying to tell you, like, these things happen. I stopped believing that things couldn't happen when Tom Brady was no longer on the Patriots. Like, that changed everything forever for me. The minute that Tom Brady was able to play for another team, then suddenly (laughs) anything can happen. And so, Harden wants to win. That's all he cares about. And there's no way that this could be considered a gimme title. It's not like when Kevin Durant went to that 73-9 and team that had already won a championship. This is an older team when you have LeBron and AD down south who are, again, the prohibitive favorites. There's no, this would not be viewed as a gimme championship. They'd still have to earn it, but they would be capable of doing so, and they're not now. And I think that's the most important thing. But, you know, this is what it is. These are the moves, these are truly the crossroads, because... You either are saying, okay, I'm going to punt on Steph Curry, Clay, and Draymond having any more real chances, unless James Wiseman is an immediate superstar. Or you can say, I'm going to re-up and give us a Hall of Fame talent to go with those guys and give ourselves a real chance now. Because otherwise you're essentially saying, hey... James Wiseman, when he becomes a superstar in a few years from now, Steph Curry, Clay, Draymond, they'll be good role players around him. So 
you're maybe giving yourself a chance in their twilight. And again, I was on board with doing that. I thought they should do it because I didn't think that there was anything, anyone that they could get that made a material difference in their championship hopes. Well, that changes and it has. So they need to do it, but who knows? Everyone is still fixated on the Philadelphia thing. Um, I really think what Philadelphia did this offseason is going to work. You know, watching them against Boston last night, Boston didn't really look, you know, I mean, it's just they didn't, it's preseason. You know, it seemed like a really dispirited game, just truthfully, because, um, you know, at times, you know, you've played each other so much. Um, But I really do think, and we saw, you know, Shake Milton had a nice game. When Simmons and Embiid are simply asked to be themselves and do what they do, and everyone around them is shooting, you're just going to have more success. And and, and the, the Sixers would be dumb not to let this go for at least like 30 games. You need to see. Because there are lineups that show that Simmons, Embiid, and shooting are elite lineups. That data exists. So they need to let it go. But the Rockets and Warriors don't have time. The Warriors could be falling out of the playoff race if things don't go their way. Or they'll be in the 7-8, you know. The Rockets, who knows? But if they wait past the trade deadline, suddenly their leverage starts to dip. Because then Harden is on an expiring contract because he has a player option and blah, blah, etc. This needs to be done sooner than later. And it makes the most sense to be done sooner than later between these two teams. A couple of games tonight. Obviously, the most interesting one for me is Lakers-Suns. I mean, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, and I said this before. There, I think there are a few teams that are just going to be straight up bad this season, like, like not even worth watching it. Like, they're like this is going to be a beatdown year. Like this Cavs Knicks game. Like, what, what what are you excited to watch there? I mean, Isaac Okoro, sure, he's an interesting prospect. But aren't we like over the Darius Garland and Colin Sexton thing? And aren't we past the point of caring if and when Kevin Love gets traded? And, like, are we supposed to believe that Andre Drummond and Kevin... I mean, just, just who cares? Seriously. If they somehow are a, have, a pot, have a winning record, you know, 20 games into the season or something, then I might care. But I just don't. The Knicks? Who cares? Like, unless you're a hardcore invested in Obi Toppin. I think he's going to be fun. I really do. I said yesterday, I think he's going to be awesome. But, like, my life does not you know, revolve around what Obi Toppin does. Like it probably does for some Knicks fans. Like that's everything to them right now. And so, you know, who, like who cares? I just, this is, it's a, it's amazing to me that in 2020, we still just don't care about the Knicks. And again, they're doing the right things. They're on the right path, but it is pretty incredible to have that basketball property. I don't know if there's any, Maybe probably the Clippers, you know, for their whole entire history of having been garbage before recently. But I don't know if there's any property that's been just basically an embarrassment versus what it could be like the Knicks have been for the last 22 years. I mean, just think about everyone loves Madison Square Garden dating back to forever. It's the place everyone wants to play. It also went under a billion dollar renovation. So this is gorgeous arena that everyone loves. It's New York. You know, the basketball mecca for everyone. And they just can't, they can't lure guys. You know, they can't bring them in. They can't, they can't bring top free agents. They can't get the best coaches. And it's Dolan, right? It's the owner. It's always the owner. Just like with Phoenix, with Sarver, it was forever. Donald Sterling, with the, it's always the owner. I even hate the term owner. We really should just be calling them managing partners. But the point is, it's always from the top. And the Knicks, they have this global fan base. They, it's incredible. 
people all over New York love the team, all over the world love the, and they suck. And just imagine, like, it just if you just sit back and think, like, what the Knicks would be if they were good. It's truly an amazing thing. And they suck. And I don't even want to watch them play. When I was a kid, when I was young, I'm old now, guys, because I'm just, like, digressing into stories in the middle of my podcast. Whatever. This is the Blunt Doctor Show. I can do whatever the fuck I want. When I was a kid, the highlight of my year, typically, was watching Bulls-Knicks games. Watching Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing go at each other was awesome. And I know they're different positions, but not all. I mean, Michael Jordan would guard him. Those two were, it was awesome. And I hated the Knicks because, you know, there were so many playoff battles with, with Jordan. But I respected them. It was the hate respect. You know, it was like, oh, I hate those guys, but damn, they're good. And now it's just like they're a joke. And they've been a joke. And it's just sad. And they're finally on the right path. And I love the Obi Toppin pick. And again, I can see it. I understand. It's just, it is, it's, it's pretty amazing when you think about how long the Knicks have wasted, how many years of just money printing they could have been doing with even a halfway decent team and just no amount of every move has been, if they just waited a little longer, it would have been better. Just wait a little longer, it'd be better. Just wait a little longer. Can't do it. That's the Knicks. Same thing for the Bulls Thunder in terms of who cares. I have I truly, the Bulls, it, I have it just, I have no clue. I don't have any idea what the hell I'm watching with the Bulls, honestly. I don't have any idea. I don't really know what else to say about that. I have no clue what the hell, the, I, 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 I truly don't know. It's mismatch roster, mismatch coaching. It's just the Bulls are going to be so bad. They will probably be the worst team in the league this year. I thought it was going to be the Pistons, and it still may be, um, you know, especially if they just let Killian Hayes continue to go. But, man, the Bulls are, I don't know. The Thunder, too, like, the Thunder are going to try to lose games. So, like, there's nothing that you should, like, expect from them because, you know, they're not even going to be out here, like, trying to dominate or something. The Thunder just want to be bad so they can keep all their picks and make a million draft picks and (laughs) – it's amazing. Sam Presti is literally running the Thunder like I play 2K. Like, truly. I just acquire a billion picks, see what the hell happens. It works in 2K. Usually you couldn't get an owner to agree to it, but, you know, what the hell. You know, the Oklahoma City guys, you know. It's interesting. Like, Sam Presti, Daryl Morey, they're, they're incredible with the trades. They really are. For different reasons. Daryl Morey acquires stars. Sam Presti acquires assets. You know, it's, you know, they're both incredible. Neither of them have a ring. <laughs> and I, I know that there's so much about, you know, it's, you know, it's only LeBron and it's only, and I'm just, but I'm just saying like, Bob Myers doesn't get mentioned as the best GM in the league. Daryl Morey does. But like, Bob Myers has routinely whooped Daryl Morey's ass. You know, it's just an interesting, and he gets no credit for any of that. You know, I mean, you know, everyone gives credit to Jerry West for, you know, building the Warriors. And it's not necessarily wrong, but, you know, Jerry West had a lot to do with building that team. But like, you know, Bob Myers is the guy who orchestrated, you know, getting Kevin Durant in a cap spike and, you know, essentially building a team that was ridiculous. You know, no one talks about that. Everyone talks about, oh, Kevin Durant went to Golden State. <laughs> they were only able to do that for, you have to have a good GM to make these things happen. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me. The Lakers-Suns game, probably won't see a ton of everyone, but it's just going to be interesting to me. I really want to see, and we probably, again, we won't see a lot of it. So I don't know how much can be judged by it, but I really want to see how the Suns defend LeBron and AD. Like, what is the thought process about how we're going to handle that? Because essentially, that is the biggest question within the Suns, is how do we defend bigs? 
more interior defense. And DeAndre Ayton has gotten a lot better at it. But behind him, I don't know. Not so much. So that's really kind of what, that's the biggest thing to me, is how are the Suns going to, because, I mean, LeBron and AD are basically centers in terms of, you know, how forceful they are at the basket. And somehow also fluid, dynamic, it's just ridiculous, these two guys. And obviously there's nothing you can do to stop them. Right. So what's the method? Do you let LeBron go haywire? You know, just put one guy on LeBron, let LeBron cut loose, and then you double AD, try to force him into a shooter and try to make the other guys to make shots? You know, that might be the way that I'd go. When when the Suns used to play the Spurs, Greg Popovich never doubled Amari Stoudemire. He just let Amari Stoudemire score. He put his worst defender on Amari because there was just no point. Because Amari was going to score all of Amari's stats, all of his best stats are against the Spurs. Because the Spurs just gave up. They didn't want to try. They stopped everyone else. Don't let Nash get a shot. Don't let Raja Bell get open. You know, don't let Boris Diaw, you know, find a corner three. These are the things that the Spurs focused on. And they always beat the Suns. Because the Suns just ran their offense. And so I'm looking to see, you know, what the the Suns do in terms of battling the Lakers down low. Because, you know, there were time, times last season before, you know, everything happened, watching, you know, for example, Dario Saric try to guard AD, and AD just, like, literally goes right through him. Like, how do you handle that problem, right? And again, you can't stop AD, obviously, but how do you make it harder? I think that a lot of people misconstrue the idea of defense as like, oh, how do you stop LeBron? You can't stop LeBron. <laughs> There's no way. You have to make him work harder than he wants to and take the shots he doesn't want to take. That's it. You know, you have to turn AD into a jump shooter. Now, I mean, he hit a bunch of big shots in the playoffs. You may just lose. You might just lose. That's it. But you're going to make a lot. You're going to have a lot better success if you're forcing AD to always shoot jumpers rather than letting him get to the rim. That's just sort of the point. How do you... Make it difficult. And I think some of it is going to be, you know, following that kind of wall defense that Miami ran against Giannis. But I don't even know if we would even necessarily see that in the regular season. Because, you know, you're trying so hard to conceal certain things for the playoffs. I don't think the Suns necessarily have that luxury, but it doesn't mean that they won't try it. So I'm just going to be interested to see, like, what defensive strategies they pull out in this game. Because I think it will you know, sort of be predictive of future events or um, or if it's literally not predictive because it's just like, you know, we don't care. Jalen Smith, you're playing the four. AD's at the four right now. Go guard him and show us what's up. Because, you know, that's really the big question with Jalen Smith is can he guard these bigger guys? Because if he can't guard fours and he can't guard fives, you know, he can make them chase him, but they can just eat his lunch. So that's really the biggest thing for me. Um, the Blazers Nuggets game is also going to be very interesting. Um, but again, it's, you know, one of these things where if, you know, if this is a Wednesday night regular season or whatever, I'm hyped for that game. But what are teams even really necessarily showing right now? I'm looking at the Suns tonight, not just because they're my team, but because I think they're the one team that might like to try to come out and punch the Lakers in the mouth in the first quarter. Now, to be fair, if we go by the first two Suns, you know, couple of uh, uh, preseason games, that's not the case at all. They haven't played anyone. They haven't really cared. They've just taken their jumpers. Chris Paul does Chris Paul things. But other than that, you know, it hasn't really been something where they've been, you know, dying for games. So um, I'm just curious to see how that goes. And just to be completely honest, I'm also curious to see, if there are moments where, say, Jalen Smith is guarding um, Anthony Davis. I'd like to see how that goes. So I'm very interested to see how that all goes down in terms of just everything Suns defense related, at least in the first, maybe second quarter. Um, LeBron and AD are playing, so it's definitely going to be interesting for sure. Finally, I wanted to tell this story. 
story of Kobe's last game from my perspective because it was kind of cool. Um, I used to do a lot of stand-up comedy. I miss doing it. I intend to do more of it, but I, I lived in LA for a while and I was doing it all the time. I was really, truly pursuing it as a profession. I don't really know that I'll ever necessarily pursue it as a profession again, but I still truly enjoy it. It's something I like doing, something I want to do again. In any case, I did a set one night at a, a place called The Library, which was like a little bookstore um, slash coffee shop in Long Beach. It was called a you know The Library, a coffee house, I think. And uh, they had all these old books on the shelf, on the walls. That's why they called it The Library. And I did my set there. And I believe that set is online. It's on my YouTube page, actually. Go to blooddoctor.com. You can see my comedy there. Um, after that set, um, this kid, the college kid came up to me and basically asked me, he was like, hey, do you mind if I interview you? And I'll, you know, I'll buy you a beer at the next door and I just want to talk to you about comedy because he was writing a paper for his class. And I'm, you know, an amateur comedian. I haven't really been anywhere. You know, I was on one TV show as an extra um, I did not make any comedy festivals or anything, so I'm really a nobody. So it was cool that this kid wanted to interview me. I'm like, yeah, sure, what the hell? So um, we go next door to the bar. Um, it's me and my friend Keith Strader, who will be on the podcast at some point. Shout out, what up, Keith? Um, he'll be on here soon at some point. But anyway, we go to this bar, um, and we're all just hanging out. And uh, we're drinking a couple beers. We're watching the game, and I'm just talking about comedy. Um, and... One thing that stood out to me that night is I actually told this dude about kind of that I was going through gender transition. At the time, I was more focused on completely transitioning. I didn't really understand gender fluidity and that that's really who I am as a person. Um, so it was complicated for me. And so I explained him to that. And he thought I was telling him that as like a joke because I was very dryly explaining it. And he like thought it was a bit. And I had to like explain it to him like four times. And Keith had to confirm like, yeah, no, he's telling the truth. Uh, because he thought I was just doing a bit, which is something that, you know, makes me like, you know, I'm not a person who gets very upset about those things. Yes, I'm gender fluid. It's part of who I am. Um, and, uh, it doesn't bother me that other people aren't as comfortable with it as I am. Cause like, if you don't know about it or haven't lived through it, I can understand why it might be difficult for some people to get it. In any case, I was eventually able to convince him that yes, I'm telling the truth. And in the background of all of this, what's going on is the, the you know the final game between Lakers and Jazz, and for the majority of that game, obviously, you know the Lakers are just losing. You know the whole game is Kobe, just running, shooting, and, and they just they're losing. They're setting picks for him, and you know Gordon Hayward even Gordon Hayward even said, you know, some people thought, oh, the Jazz are going to throw the game, and Gordon Hayward's like, when you're a competitor, he's like, dude, I'm on that court. I wanted to take Kobe's last game from him. You know, he even said like he he wanted to win that game so badly because he 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 wanted to be the one who ruined Kobe's last game. Like that would be you know the best send off that Gordon Hayward could have given to Kobe. In his mind, was an L. And we're watching the game, and you know nothing is going on, and everyone at the bar is sitting watching the game, and you know everyone's just really quiet, and it's just kind of sad because um, it just kind of felt like that was going to go out. That was how he was going to go out, and then with three minutes left everything changed and Kobe starts hitting shots and the whole bar, you know, it starts like, like everyone's like, you know, doing the fist, like, yeah, like when he hits one and then he's hits a couple more and you know, the Lakers, when it was about a minute left, I told the kid, I was like, Hey, I'm like, I got to stop this interview right now. I'm like, I'm like, look at what's going on. And I like stopped the interview and I like made him watch the game. Cause I'm like, I can't, I can't focus on this right now. And because I had intended to go home and watch the game, but in, you know, I, the opportunity to get an interview, I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do it. But I'm like, I've got to watch this right now. And so we're sitting there in the bar and like the whole bar starts going nuts. And the thing I remember most is when he hit the game winner three, I believe it was. And when they showed like Snoop Dogg and Jay-Z on the sidelines and everyone's going insane, like that's what the bar was like too. Like all of us could not believe it. Like, and that was like the first time in my life that I was like, like dying for the Lakers to win a game. And it will probably be the only time <laughs> that that ever occurs. Um, but that was, that was so crazy. Um, just being in that moment and, you know, seeing Kobe come back and take over the game. Um, it was, 
it was just something special. And, you know, it sucks that he passed away, but I'll never forget that because I'm just not someone who rooted for Kobe. I'm not someone who loved the Lakers. But being there in Los Angeles and being in the middle of my own, you know, important moment and just wanting to throw it away so I could watch Kobe, you know, hit a couple of clutch shots in an ultimately meaningless, you know, end of season game. Um, obviously, it was not meaningless for many reasons for all of us as basketball fans, but, you know, just, you know, it was just Kobe's last game. It was, the Lakers weren't going to the playoffs or anything. It just was the game. And um, it was just awesome that he found that one more gear, like one more time for all of us, really, even for those of us who weren't Lakers fans. It was. And the only other thing, the only other time I can think of that uh, I was like rooting for um, a Lakers team was, it was (laughs) the 2002 Western Conference Finals with the Kings and the Lakers. And... Um, I was with the person who had a substantial amount of money riding on the the Lakers in this, you know, the, the classic Western Conference Finals, which is one of the most disputed, you know, everyone, you know, Kings fans say they were cheated and all these things. In any case, a great series if you weren't invested in either team. And my friend who had a lot of money riding on the Lakers... An older friend. I was young at the time. But in any case, things had not been going well and he had been losing. And we were in a hotel room and we were watching the game. I believe this was at a family reunion. I'm leaving out some details here. And <laughs> we're watching the game and he's losing his mind. And everything's going horrible. <laughs> and then Robert Ory hits the triple. And everything was right in his world again. <laughs> and I was so happy for him. I didn't really have my tr- pure hatred, hate, hatred yet growing up as a kid. I idolized Michael Jordan, so I hadn't become a... I hadn't truly known. My, my basketball fandom was very questionable. I'm sure I'll get hated on that for whatever, but... That was the only other time I can think of that I rooted for the Lakers. But I, I'm telling you, watching that Kobe um, story, or that game, and seeing that story develop and seeing, you know, I mean, you remember it. It was just, it was something special. And I still go back and watch that game on YouTube sometimes just because it's, you know, it's one of those, you know, it's an NBA moment. And there are moments in this league that are, special beyond what team you root for um, and that was definitely one of them and that was just the story that I enjoyed and I just remember cheering with everyone in the bar and cheering with a bunch of Lakers fans and rooting for Kobe and then going home and um, you know watching the highlights again because it was awesome to see and you know, I remember reading the interview with Woj afterwards about that game and it was just a special time for all of us R.I.P. Kobe, man. And that's the Blunt Doctor Show. We will be back tomorrow. I'm going to take a look at my preseason NFL picks that I made on my other podcast. Maybe I'll clip out some audio from that. Who knows? But we're going to take a look at those, get a little update and see how I'm doing. Take a look at some of the upcoming games. Talk about what's going on. Talk about a lot of football. And we'll talk about if anything really interesting happens in basketball tonight. See you tomorrow. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe. Working on getting this thing on Apple Podcasts. I'm trying to get it on every platform. Bear with me. We'll get there. Blood Doctor out.